when, when I think about my legacy, it's just like, I want to be around. I want to keep pushing. I want to be there. And I want to remember because I, like a lot of people, lose sight of what's important as I'm pushing hard in business and all the things I want to accomplish, that it's all about people. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, Mark Gutman has always been captivated by stories, especially the movies he watched with his father. He learned about life through the likes of Ferris Bueller and eventually found himself in Hollywood. But like many of us, Mark was bit by the entrepreneurial bug. He wanted the freedom to architect his own life and a new story. So Mark learned everything he could about marketing and PR and eventually founded Wild Story, a storytelling and content strategy shop that helps spark conversations that change the way people feel about their clients and their clients' brands, one of whom is former Impact Entrepreneur Show guest Ryan Evans, the founder of Inboard Technologies and local Santa Cruz entrepreneur. So what makes a good story exactly, especially one that's online? Take a moment to reflect now on the stories that have really impacted you in the past. Whether it was a movie or a book or an Instagram post, I bet you the first thing you think about is how it made you feel. Not how the shots were composed or the sentences were constructed. Those are certainly important components, but it's really the best stories that elicit emotion, and those are the ones that really make you feel a certain way, happy, sad, angry, uh, joyful, jubilant, whatever it might be. When you understand this, it really reveals that everyone has the opportunity to tell their story in a way that creates an impact. And with the ability to easily create and share all sorts of media online today, doing so has never been easier before. Now, why should we focus on telling stories? If we have a great product and value to add, isn't that enough? The honest truth is that no, that often is not enough to succeed as an entrepreneur today. As Mark puts it, your backstory is your real differentiator. So take advantage of the tools available to you and set yourself apart. Now bust out your pens and paper and brace for impact as we learn how to do that with Mark Gutman. Mark Gutman, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Pumped to have you, man. It's been a long time in the works. Mike, thank you so much for having me. You're absolutely right. I mean, we met, uh, we were just talking pre-show a little bit about our first meeting and it's been a while and uh, it's always kind of fortuitous, right? When you, you never know, like when you meet someone in an event or out, you know, in business or whatever, where it's going to lead to. And you and I, we've kind of had this winding path and some common uh, people in our lives. And it's just really awesome that we can connect on your uh, show today. Yes, absolutely. And we are going to talk about 
your wild story also although also that happens to be the name of your company which i think is just great and uh, right before we were talking as you just mentioned we were just mentioning how small the world is and i'm here in santa cruz we met randomly at a conference that, that uh, in colorado at uh, pete vargas's event and I had never been to this event before and you and I connected and you handed me your business card and I was like, what? You work with Ryan Evans over at Inboard Technology in Santa Cruz and uh, helped them tell their story to democratize transportation. And uh, man, just a small world. So I'm really, really pumped to have you. Yeah, and the, uh, you know, the through line for you is that storytelling has, has been... Not just what's driven you, but it's it's been your bread and butter. It's um, it's helped lead you to where you are. And I always kick things off with the origin story. And to, to start that, I'm going to read a quote from a person named Aaron Morgenstern. I don't know who that person is, but the quote resonated with me. <laughs> and the, the quote is, You may tell a tale that takes up residence in someone's soul, becomes their blood and self and purpose. That tale will move them and drive them, and who knows that they might do because of it? Who who knows what they might do because of it? Because your words, that is your role, your gift. So when I was preparing for our conversation, I I read that you've always been captivated by stories, and specifically, you talk about the role that your dad played in your life in developing your interest and love of stories. So when you reflect back, can you recall a moment or two when you really felt that connection with him? Yeah, totally. And that, that's such a powerful quote. It, it just like really brings up so many memories and thoughts and, and how I view story. But, you know, Getting back to my father and my origin story, it's like I grew up in you know suburban Detroit. Um, you know, I had parents that were certainly doing the best they could. Uh, they, they gave us a lot of love, but we we never had that. Like my, my dad and I never had that sit down John Hughes you know moment where he we, we talked about the birds and the bees, or he put his hand on my knee and said, you know, this is what life's all about. I mean, we just we didn't communicate in that way. Um, and I, so I think a combination of just that era and in, in the way that that we were with our our, our families and our and our interpersonal relationships, as well as I kind of like always joke that that growing up in Detroit was like nothing ever happened. You know, it was a very nice kind of upbringing, but there was no excitement. And so um, for me, movies and story um, were just how I, I made meaning of the world. It's I mean, to me, they were real life. You know, that's how you know I learned about life through like Ferris Bueller. You know, my my father and I. I remember, you know, just sitting and we'd watch, you know, his fit. He was he had a very big love of comedies. And so, you know, I loved uh sitting with him and we'd watch movies like Animal House and Caddyshack and and all these types of movies where, you know, that's really where I saw my dad like at his best. Mm. You know, because he was like laughing, he was like engaged, he like really like, like belly, like wet, loose laughter, you know, and like outside of you know that kind of experience, we never really had that, you know, and, and I think you know he was doing the best he could, he was working, you know, I was a little bit of a of a problematic kid at times, <laughs> and so like I always felt like you know we had this very like you know authoritarian you know parent child relationship, except. When it came to, to to sharing, you know, movies and, and and the love of story, and so I just, you know, it was probably escapism when I think about it. It was probably, 
you know, really where, where I felt safe and where everything always worked out in the end. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, I was actually just about to say, yeah, that what the way you're describing it, it's like, you know, and I, and I still think that's why movies in particular and really great books do continue to do so well because people, it, it does help people kind of check out momentarily from whatever their daily grind is. And, and there are certain moments in certain movies in particular that really resonate and speak to people and move them. And, uh, and like that quote says that they tell a tale that takes up residence in someone's soul. So when you think about that line from that quote, what's the first story that took up residence in you? It could Mm -hmm. be, it could be a story that someone else told you. It could be a story that you've made up yourself. It could take, it could be the form of a movie, whatever. Yeah, I mean, my, my earliest memory when I think about that and what came to mind when you asked that question, it's not a story in what I'd consider story form, but um, it's more of a narrative. And it was really, you know, again, growing up in, in Michigan, I was really into skateboarding. All I, you know, I dreamed about everybody else's life. And, and the one that I remember the most was I used to sit and I used to read Thrasher magazine and just dream about, you know, these these kids in Venice and in Dogtown. And, and it was just, you know, I, I bought into the, the story hook, line, and sinker with these sort of ethereal images of, of the sun kind of streaming through and, you know, uh, taking shots on the half pipe and they're in skate in pools. And, and, and really, you know, that was the first story that, that hooked my soul. And I, you know, I don't know if I made the connection when I, when I um, really made the decision to after college to move out to Hollywood. But I mean, I was always going to California and, you know, I'm not sure if it was the movies or the, the, the images of Thrasher. And I got to California and, um, I stayed with a buddy of mine from college's mother in Santa Monica for a couple of weeks, but my very first apartment was one block into Venice. I mean, that like, that's how much like that I believe impacted me and, and whether or not it was conscious or unconscious, I was like, I'm going to California and I'm hanging out in Venice. And then, of course, like most of the stories that I love, I looked around and it was nothing like what I had imagined. But that's a, that's a, that's another story. <laughs> well, that was all curated, right? Yeah, no, totally. You know, and it's it's funny because you did you ended up going to Michigan, and you got a degree in English, I believe, or that's what you were immersed in. And and so basically, what you're saying is that the prolific writing in Thrasher magazine inspired you. To uh, to have a love of the English language is that what you're saying? <laughs> the writers, yeah, I mean, pressure, you know. Sure, I mean I've loved and I still do all. I mean, you know, all sorts of, of writing and and I've very eclectic taste. But sure, I mean, you know what I've what I've also come to learn later in life is that really good storytelling is a is a blend of media, you know. And so I had always been a really good writer. That was kind of what I was doing. But you know, when you mix words with images, I think like a great example that's really bite sized is like uh, the humans of New York Instagram, right? Like those images really wouldn't be anything without the words, and the words really wouldn't be anything without the images. And uh, Brandon, and I forget his last name, the the guy that runs that, like says all the time that he knew he couldn't be the the world's best photographer, but he could be really good at getting those images, interrupting people, and telling that story. And so. I think, you know, when, when I think of Thrasher, I think of those words, I think of the stories, I think of the imagery, I think of the, you know, like all great stories, the, the emotion that I have more than anything. I mean, I can't tell you a single, you know, article I read there, but I can certainly reflect and tell you about different emotions I had and different remembrances and feelings and, and that grainy sort of 
black and white, you know, imagery and stuff like that. And it just, it just really called to me. So yeah, I've always had a, 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 you know, a broad taste in that stuff. And as you know, even I explore my own evolution of, of, of just a, a, a storyteller and in business, it's like, I find more and more that this, it's just like, this mixed media storytelling is really where where you can really be effective and, and have the most the most uh, satisfaction for yourself as well. You know, you, you mentioned that you you've always been a good writer, and obviously that that comes from you know putting pen to paper or you know keyboard to whatever, and then somebody else reading it and and affirming your efforts and breathing life into it. So, who was the first person to? say to you, Mark, you're, you're a really good writer. You've got something here. Yeah. Well, outside of my parents, um, you know, and this has been something, you know, I I just want to bring this up. I say that, but it's not like I have unbridled confidence in my writing. And I want to be very like honest about that because it's been a lifelong struggle to like feel good about what I put out there and, and feel good about it. And yeah, being affirmed and having people continually come back to me and tell me that they like what I'm putting out there or that I've got promise. I mean, even today I need it, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, but you know, outside of my parents, I think the one I first remember, and I can't remember, I, I actually wanted to go back recently and try to figure out the name of this teacher, but it was in high school and I had a, I had a, uh, a term paper and I think I wrote it either on zoos or the Japanese macaques. I can't remember <laughs> which, which, which one, but I was always like really kind of into that stuff. And, Part of my process was I would be thinking about it a lot, but I would, st- you know, I the only thing I would ever stay up all night for was to finish a paper. Uh, in college, I could never do all nighters, like, uh, but if it was like a narrative or something writing, I could pretty much get it done. And I would work really like haphazardly, like first draft, and I would always be like, this is crap. And then turn it in, and people would be like, oh, this is really good, you know. Mm. And so that teacher, and I can't remember her name, she, Came up to me and was, you know, and she kind of looked at me cross eyed and she's like, You wrote this? And I was like, Yeah. And she's like, It's really good. And it was a teacher that I had a little bit of conflict with, right? So actually, that meant way more than yeah. like being like teacher's pet or something like that. And um, I should really look that up. And I think that was like maybe ninth or 10th grade. And, and that really, I was like, Oh, that's, that's pretty interesting. And then I had a few more um, instances with, with, with reaffirming across. You know my my education in high school and college, but yeah, that that was the first one I remember. How do you how did you formulate in your thinking um, the the words and the stories that you would tell? Would the words come up first? Would the themes come up first? Would would a visual come up first? And then you would like for me from when I'm writing, like I sit back and I will like visualize like a scene. I will see who's in it. And I will in, imagine the the environment and the emotion, and and then I'll kind of let the words come from there. But there are other people that where the words come first. What what's it like for you? Yeah, no, I don't think it's like I don't write words like I write some amazing song lyric or lyric or something, right? And then be like, oh, there's something here. I think that um, you know a couple things in the process. Really thinking about the audience, and you know, so what's the purpose of the story? I mean, that that really drives it first and helps to to weed out a lot of stories because and ideas. Um, and then I think like I'm just always constantly thinking and, and bouncing around, and you know, we can sit at our desk and uh, look at a, a blank piece of paper and just like be so like nothing comes, you know. And then 
um, you know, you're in the shower, in the car, working out, and that's where everything, going to yoga or something, that's where everything seems to flood. Um, and then from there, you know, I, I'd really, it's kind of this idea of the big idea that's kind of uh, for my screenwriting training, where it's like, you know, what's the, the really big idea? Like, how do you, um, how do you express something in like a, a log line or a sentence, you know? And mm-hmm. big idea for Jaws might be like a killer shark terrorizes a small, beach town like that's all right and then start thinking okay well then and then i go right into character like what like what's like who would be interesting and um i don't know why i just brought up jaws but we'll talk about that so it's (laughs) interesting to have you know chief you know is a chief brody is it uh is that his name i think yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. and and right and of course you start thinking well what would be interesting okay there's a cop great well what's interesting about a cop well it's interesting that he's really afraid of the water great Right now we've set up some conflict. We set up some, so I kind of go that way and, and drive through character and then start to build the story that way. When you get into tactics, uh, I was always taught to build out stories and movies on note cards. Uh, hmm. So uh, that was an old kind of thing that um, either Sid Field or who's a well-known uh, screenwriting guru or Robert McKee, both both uh, that I that I studied a lot when I was in. In, in California, uh, you, you would do that. And, and then the reason why is because it's modular and you can move it, you know, mm-hmm. and you can really get an idea of, um, you know, the different scenes and stuff like that in a story. And I still will do that today, even like if I'm telling a story um, for the stage or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I'll probably use post-it notes more than I, than I use note cards. But yeah, totally. Yeah. It's almost like storyboarding. I mean, that's basically kind of what it is, right? It's like the early days of storyboarding. No, it's storyboarding just with verb, verbal, <laughs> you know, verbal stuff instead of pictures. But even then, yeah. you know, uh, I think a really good technique is actually to storyboard with stick figures and things like that. Even today, uh, if you're speaking from stage, and what that allows you to do is really think about your story in a different way mm-hmm. um, and see it in a different way and see like the the, the points of interest. I think we're, we're, I'm getting off on a little bit of a tangent here, but one of the things that you know, I think that a lot of people, when they're telling stories for either business or you know, um, on the stage or whatever, is is they want to tell you every single detail. And you know, there's this concept of episodic storytelling, like only tell me the things where like something actually happens mm-hmm. and stack that together. And, and that's where that post-it note method could be really good because you'd be like, "What's happening in this note? Mm. Nothing really great. I probably don't need it, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, what what happened? Like, what, and, and there has to be real." conflict and, and, and change in the basic story structure is this idea of transformation. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we, we, could get, we could nerd out and go all the way down uh, like a big path of structure and everything. But for me, if, if, if in every scene, in, you know, and it kind of starts at a, in a giant umbrella of like, what's the big idea um, in terms of what's the transformation? How did that character come in one way and how did they leave differently another way? And you can break that down all the way down into scenes, right? Every scene, everything you talk about, you should enter one way and, and leave mm-hmm. a different way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, keeping that all in mind, you can use that post-it note uh, method in a way to really dial that in and get real clear on that. It's funny. I never knew about that. But as I shared with you via email of, you know, a while back, I, I just finished writing my first book and it's, I should be getting my first edits back today. But one of the th- ways I helped organize my thoughts was using three by five cards and writing down the scenes. And th- then I would you know, I would take that one three by five card out and I would write specific to that scene and then I would, you know, move it or I would shuffle it around. And, and so, I mean, it's really, it's kind of cool that you mentioned that, but you did also mention transformation. And I think that that's a really big thing that 
entrepreneurs and business owners and just large and small, we they, they miss out on transformation, not just transformation specifically, but outcomes. Outcomes that their clients and their audience wants. And, and, they're, and they're not focused on outcomes, they're focused on something else. And so they end up not making the sales or not connecting with their clients or missing uh, missing their targets. And I think that you know they, they end up spending too much time focus, focusing on features and benefits. And and I've recently experienced this in our financial services business where really just getting the client to focus on the outcome that they want is is really the most powerful uh, element that that entrepreneurs and people that are involved in selling at all, which is everybody, needs needs to begin to develop that skill of helping guide clients to focus on the outcome and then reverse engineering. So how can people use the storytelling fundamentals and structure to guide clients and or, or or audiences to that outcome, both an outcome that they're there to to get the, the audience or the client, as well as the the person selling. Yeah, it's a good question. And like I'll, you know, in terms of pure outcomes, like I struggle with this because I'm a story guy. And so I like I'll, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But you know, I think you hit the well, you know what? Let's take a step back first. Like we just Take a moment to recognize that you you mentioned that you you completed your book and you're getting you know your first edits today. I mean that's huge and and I want to you know celebrate anyone that's a creator and anyone that's putting stuff out there because it's hard first of mm-hmm. all and it's mm-hmm. scary and it takes a lot. And so I just huge huge kudos to you, Mike. Thank you. Super super. I want to take a moment for that. But when we talk about outcomes, I think your point of working you know starting with the uh, end in mind and working backwards is always great. And you can think about like so. Give me an example of an outcome in the financial services industry that that you like to focus on. So an outcome, I think it actually ties in. It goes connects to the backstory, right? Because ultimately, the backstory of anything is really what we're trying to achieve. So, for example, how I think about that and make sense of that in my own mind is: let's say I have a client and they're getting ready to retire, and my the way I envision them is I have two scenes that play in my head. I have one scene where it's a grandfather and he is watching his first grandchild, who's about you know, let's say 12 to 15 months old, and she or he has not taken their first steps yet, but he's watching her and the news is on and it's on CNBC and all hell is breaking loose. And there's two scenes that happen at that point. One, the grandfather who is totally present and attuned to his grandchild as he or she stands up and takes their first steps because they're not concerned about what's happening on CNBC or the other person who misses the grandchild's first steps because they're obsessed and anxious and emotional about what's going on on the television and how that impacts them which version would you like to have yeah and, and so yeah and so then we reverse engineer everything from there yeah and 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 it's interesting right because i think that most clients, and this is an idea that when we're we're directly talking about movies, we every character has has wants and needs, or we call it wants versus needs, right? And so in this case, the the older grandfather they want 
they, they, they think they want investment strategy. They think they want a good portfolio. They think they want more money. But what they really need is peace of mind and presence, mm-hmm. right? And so it's that idea in playing with those two, those two outcomes, because I think that um, you, you know, you definitely have to be clear and overt about what the outcome is. Is like, hey, like you know, you're gonna have more money. You're gonna, you know, have security. You're not gonna be impacted by the tumultuous market. But like, what what you really need. Is like love and peace of mind, and mm-hmm. um, so it's it, like you think you want one thing, but you always need something different. Like you can think about it. Like I'm trying to think of a good good movie, you know, like Blades of Glory or something like that, right? <laughs> that Chaz Michael Michael thinks uh, he wants to be a champion, but what he really needs is to learn how to work with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it, it would be kind of the the moral, the theme of that story. Tommy Boy, same thing, right? He thinks he 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 wants uh, to to be the town savior or be like his dad, but he just really needs to lean into being his own man. My all time so, favorite movie, by the way, Tommy Boy. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, that uh, Blades of Glory and Zoolander might be the, the, you know, triumphant three, but we, we can debate that on a, an, another <laughs> program. Did you ever get to work with Chris Farley? Uh, no, I, I never did. No, I, I wish I did. Um, I was fortunate to work with Chris Rock a little bit um, on a movie called Osmosis Jones. And um, you know a bunch of other comedians uh, like Pat Oswalt, the Fairley Brothers, not Chris Farley, but the Fairley Brothers, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and people that kind of spun out of there. And I had you know actually came in contact with a lot of comedians. Very first project I ever worked on was with Ellen DeGeneres, and that was uh, oh wow, that was an interesting interesting <laughs> entree into the movie business for sure. You know, I want to jump back to your college experience real quick because I I listened to an interview on your show where you were talking about your experience, and I know that. There was a professor there that played a kind of a big role in terms of you breathing life into your potential to to you know be be involved in storytelling and and to go to Hollywood and to pursue that path and I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that professor breathed life into your potential and maybe maybe what they taught you about wants versus needs and and what what you could do potentially in Hollywood. Yeah, so it's interesting, right? Like, I never had the Robin Williams, like, Dead Poet Society professor. Like, we were never, like, you know, it was never like clapping and then, like, it wasn't like an arm around me <laughs> situation. And it's, you know, and, uh, but I had this professor, his name is Frank Beaver, and he was just a, a kind of a stalwart of the, of the film program there. And, you know, we had some undergraduate classes, but we also had a, a graduate filmmaking class that you could apply to. And, and I was accepted and I, you know, I'm not really sure how. I didn't have like a lot of experience or anything like that, but we actually got to make movies, which is really cool. Um, like on 16 millimeter film and cutting them and all this kind of stuff, as well as we had screenwriting classes there. And and I and um, you know, I think that again, I wrote a movie uh for that class called Seismic Activity about an earthquake that that hits California. It was like a big blockbuster kind of action movie, right? Nothing really happened about it. But you know, I got a lot of, you know, and I and again I, I kind of came in with wrote it. It was hard to write, tail between my legs, and I thought it was awful. And all I got was really positive feedback, you know, and it needed some work, but I got a lot of positive feedback. So, you know, that professor also, you know, I remember he approached me and and he said, "Hey, like, you know, we have this grant for students to go to Sundance. Would you like to go?" And I was like, "Sure." So, like, I never even thought of that. So, uh, me and a couple of buddies, we we got this grant, and we got we got to go out to Sundance, kind of in the earlier days. Um, it was still pretty pretty big to do. 
And, uh, you know, and that was this eye opening experience. And, and I think, you know, what I got from that him was just that like this world wasn't so impossible to join. It wasn't so hard. It wasn't so far away. It's like, you just kind of had to show up and, and at least participate. And then, uh, when I left, you know, most of my friends were getting, you know, interviewing for, you know, law school, med school, going to Goldman Sachs. And, um, you know, I, I certainly wasn't, you know, interested in any of that. And so I decided, you know, I, I wanted to go out to California and my, you know, and, and Frank, Professor Frank Beaver handed me a, a piece of paper, a legal pad of paper with like 25 names of, of Michigan alumni. And, said, here, this is your list. And I think at the very top was like Lawrence Kasdan and all these famous people. And of course, none of them called me back, like famous <laughs> agents and all this. And uh, at the bottom was just some guy uh, who is still a great uh, friend and mentor to me today. Uh, and he was in, his name's Patrick, and he was an editor uh, for a Disney theme park uh, production. And uh, that, that was my first job. And so I went and, and I was working with Ellen. It was her first sort of movie. And we just sat like out this weird imagineering kind of skunk works uh, facility out in the valley and uh, worked on that for a long time before I, I kind of got my big break and, and working for uh, the Academy Award winning director, Oliver Stone. And that kind of that, that propelled me and, and it took me in a different direction. But yeah, I mean, Frank Beaver in, in college and just the ability to like create, you know, and, and I think about like, you know, we were shooting on 16 millimeter film and like driving you know, filmed down to the only processor in, you know, the whole Midwest and Detroit and snowstorms and, you know, and, and we loved it. It was great. And, you know, but it, it had like this kind of cool limitation. Like I think about like what we have in terms of storytelling tools today. And like the only thing we're limited by is our storytelling abilities and our imagination. It's totally democratized, you know, mm-hmm. there's like, you can shoot the most amazing story. As a matter of fact, there's so much video uh, evidence that says like when it's shot like more like handheld and on an iPhone and 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 has like mistakes that that performs way better than a glossy you know social media ad. So you know that's one application. But you know we we have these amazing tools, and I think back to like man, like would it be like now to to have that? And really, you know, you can be focusing so much more on your storytelling than the technical aspect. And and like I, I like so much of it was technical aspect. I had a cinematography manual that was like this thick thing, and you had to like. Look, look in it and figure out just, I mean, it was just crazy, you know, right now you can just, you know, shoot. And I have a, have a big interest still in photography and videography and like, you know, it's the tools are just like for, for the everyday person are just so great. And so, um, you know, thanks to, to, to Professor Frank Beaver. I wonder if he's even still there. I should look him up. You, you're, you're making me kind of walk down memory lane and think <laughs> of all these, all these people. But yeah, it was great. And it was just, I think, the perfect amount of encouragement you know, exposure and space, you know, and letting people kind of grow. And at least from my perspective, that's, that's a real benefit of, of going to college and, and stuff like that. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur holds you to call. When 
when you got to Tinseltown, you know, and you obviously, I think we all have this kind of idealized idea of what it's going to be like and like what, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make these connections and I'm going to meet the, the stars. I'm going to meet the people. And I'm going to be able to do the work and I'm going to, you know, and uh, I'm going to be able to get right to creating. And then someone hands you a, a cinematography book that's this thick and says, get to work, right? Like then yeah. the, the reality of what it takes, um, you know, has to meet up with your expectations, right? And so one, one, one guest previously put it that everybody likes the idea of competition until the gun goes off and it gets real. So now you're moved to Hollywood. Uh, you're, you're in LA, you're in the thick of it, you're in the weeds. What were some of the surprising things that you learned about yourself and about the process of storytelling in Hollywood? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, my, my dream, right, was I was going to swoop in, write a couple scripts. You know, they were feature scripts were selling for millions. So I was going to be an instant millionaire. It was my version of the internet and, you know, um, you know, in the dot com run. Uh, I was going to be walking around my Hollywood Hills house in my, my bathrobe and slippers. I would, you know, be really smart and just be spewing great ideas and I would be an instant success. You know, that was my, my dream. My reality, and I kind of started talking about this was the very first job I got was in the valley in, in, a, in a warehouse district, like driving film around all day. It was like tough work. You know, it wasn't like, Skill challenging, but it was like a, they were long days and it was hard. And, you know, and there was this constant, like, hey, if you don't want to do this, there's like 10 people behind you uh, that will, that will line up to do it. You know, keeping that in mind, like, I always had also this like real naive sense about me that, like, hey, I'll get to where I need to be. I'll figure it out and I'll start working. And so, you know, what that experience at, and that was working for Disney gave me because I had these giant in the air for a film nerd, they were like, three panels of 70 millimeter film. So you can imagine that there were these giant reels and I would have to take them to Deluxe and Technicolor in the studio. Uh, it gave me like parking right up front. Like literally I'd park my, my rusty Oldsmobile Cutlass or whatever next to Ellen's, they would say Ellen DeGeneres and Tim Allen and their Porsches, you know, and I'd get out and, uh, and I'd move this film around. Well, I also had a lot of downtime. And so I'd go walk up and down in the studio and I would just, you know, try to pop my head in offices and chat people up and, you know, um, I'm at you know this producer named John, and he would always ask me what I wanted to do. I was like, "Hey, I want to be a screenwriter." He's like, "Well, you really need to probably work for a director or a production company or whatever." One day, he just kind of like a movie slides a piece of paper across the table and says, "Call this guy," and it turned out to be Oliver Stone's production company, and um, they hired me on as the story editor. And I didn't know anything. Yeah, I had written read some screenwriting books. We had talked about it in college, but it was all pretty abstract. And so I think that, you know, that's where I got like, you know, trial by fire. I mean, that was like, again, you know, we were, this is before digital. So we're photocopying scripts. And if I, I was also in charge of these interns from USC, and if they missed one page, I mean, like that, that ruined my entire day, you know, like that was just like, I got screamed at, like I thought, you know, and nothing was coming back. So I think that, you know, developing tough skin there, but also like really learning this process of how to defend a story and what matters. You know, I thought, Great writing was great words, great prose, great uh, mechanics, and really great storytelling has nothing to do with that. I mean, it helps because if you don't have that, it's distracting. Um, but great storytelling is really about uh, the the structure and the characters and the development, and also in the movie business, what could be. You have to have an eye for like, all right, this is something. It might not be what we're looking for, but it's it's something. So 
that you know was a huge uh, sort of entry into to, uh, you know story. We'd have to cover all these scripts. We'd have to like break them down and, and, and do synopses and all this kind of stuff. Defend them, you know. And there was a lot of like it was never like okay, Mark, like your opinion's great. It was like well, why and like really pressing and and things like that. I also got to work on a lot of development projects with directly with screenwriters. And giving notes and kind of understanding what were good notes, what were bad notes, what were minutia, what wasn't, you know, required. And then from there, I ended up writing a couple non-produced scripts for for Oliver and his production company. And then I went to go on and, and work uh, with a, a writer named uh, Mark Hyman, who's a com- comedy writer, and a producer named Zach Penn, who just most recently wrote Ready Player One. So, hmm. um, you know, hmm. but at that time. Um, we were working on this movie, Osmosis Jones. And so Zach was just like a, a story structure, like phenom, right? That was his thing. He was so good at it. So I learned a ton from him. But then also working on animation was really interesting because that story lived on the wall for like a year. Hmm. And you'd move it much you know, while it was drawn out and it was beautiful and sketched out by all these artists. Um, it was the same as that post-it note theory we talked about. You could move things around. You could really kind of look and see what works and what doesn't and and you'll see and you know I had Mark and Zach on my podcast just a couple weeks ago and they talked we talked about this like that that's why you rarely see a bad animation movie because you have the time to to go through and and really deconstruct it and play with different things and try different things out and unlike where you'd have to reshoot with uh, Hollywood actors you can redraw and reanimate and stuff mm-hmm. like that so mm-hmm. you know talking about my formation and, and my reality that was huge but it was you know what I think also was a little disillusioning was that it's like man it's like a real job like that's the best way i can describe it like whatever your profession if you're an engineer if you're a doctor right you show up every day and you got to grind it out and you like, like that's what the movie business is and actually the very best of them that's what they do the very best agents the very best producers the very best very best actors they grind they show up every day and and work really really hard and what what you learn is that not every like not everything that oliver did was an Academy Award caliber movie, you know those mm-hmm. you you those moments in your career, you know, for a lot of people happen once, maybe twice, you know. Some some people really get it, but like, you know, I've had some good, I had some good friends that are still there today that are actors, and they really struggled uh, all the way up until they're about forty, and then you know, and then they put in all this work, and they wrote you know an Academy Award winning movie, and they look like an overnight success. But you know mm-hmm. what? That was a long grind, and so mm-hmm. I, I think that's the reality. You know, mm-hmm. versus the the fantasy. The fantasy is like, hey, it's really easy, and because we, much like in entrepreneurship, right? We see these young people. Maybe they, you know, the one person starts a business, does great, exits, and we like celebrate them, or we celebrate Steve Jobs, and we all want to do that. But like, that's like the exception. You know, the rule mm-hmm. is that that it's all about the grind and the journey, and mm-hmm. and same for the movie business. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know that was that was a shock to me because I had bought into the mythology of <laughs> young. Young one hit wonder, you know, and I think that you know, getting up to the plate and getting the reps in and just sticking with it, and and truly determining whether you were just in love with the mythology or you are truly willing to sacrifice and suffer for something, you only discover that by getting into the game and getting in the trenches and putting in the work and the hours and all of that stuff and. There's this guy named Matthew Kelly who's a prolific author and speaker. He wrote a book called Dream Manager a long time ago. And uh, he just came out with another book recently called Perfectly Yourself. And one of the things he talks about in there is a concept called first things. 
And it's, it's a commitment that one makes to themselves that they're going to try new things on a regular basis to identify what they are potentially capable of to maybe discover a new path where their potential can, can lead them down. And, and you kind of did that in a, in a certain sense because you decided to leave Tinseltown and you, you kind of made a complete 180. I mean, you didn't like, you left Hollywood and you didn't go and, you know, become a, a writer or a write, go work for an ad agency or something like that. You became a, a tech entrepreneur and started a, an events and uh, virtual events and webinar company. I mean, how does one go from, from working with Oliver Stone's production company to, to starting a, a virtual events management company? Yeah, good question. And so, of course, I'm giving you my highlight reel, right? I'm giving right. you my fake Instagram, Facebook <laughs> life. I'm not giving you all the challenges and the turmoil. And you know, part of the the thing that I, you know, I realize it now, but I throughout my life, I'm always, and I think a lot of people do this. I'm I'm always questioning, like, what, what am I willing to pay for this thing, right? And like, what is the cost of this thing? So, uh, you know, what what am I willing to pay to stay in Hollywood, and what is the cost? Of staying in Hollywood, and and quite frankly, I realized I wasn't willing to pay that cost. And for me, that cost was I had I had always been very like in, you know into the outdoors. I'd always been about lifestyle. I have a story about you know growing growing up in Detroit, and all my friends would be moving away, and uh, you know my mom just said that's the way it is. You you go where your work is, and I had made a pledge uh, at that time that like I'm going to be in control of where I want to live, and so I had at a, at a young age. Really thought that like it was more important to figure out where you want to live, and I'm I'm, not, I'm no genius on this. It was just kind of like what I decided: um, live and then build your business or your life or whatever around that. So, you know, I knew that I wanted to change. I wasn't sure Colorado was great. We looked at San Francisco, Portland, and Boulder. I had just gotten married uh, to my wife, and we were looking to. She was with me in LA as well, and we were looking to do something different. So we came to Colorado to make a change, and you know, I tried to continue my movie career. I went and. You know, went to Warren Miller's in Boulder. I went to all these um, different uh, sort of production companies, but you know, it wasn't this like gold rush of video and, and and storytelling and things like that. People weren't really infusing their marketing with storytelling. I didn't even know that was really a thing. Um, you know, I think the only other game in town was this company called New Frontier that made like adult movies, right? And I was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so um, I, I didn't know what to do, and it, it was really. Kind of to your point, it was kind of just staying in the game, coming up to bat, trying to figure it out. Um, I ended up uh, moonlighting at a company that sold audio and web video conferencing that was super cool and hot. This was kind of the advent of that technology. Um, I'd write, I was writing a Saturday morning cartoon for Warner Brothers in the morning, and so still from Colorado. And so I'd do that, and then I'd go and Kind of hang out at this little tech company, and it was just fascinating. I, I used to tell people that uh, if Homer Simpson went to a startup, it would look like that, right? As like, <laughs> was riding on a razor scooter, and we had catered uh, meals every day and every Friday. It was like just like this happy hour, and it was just crazy, you know, burning money, but but very exciting. And that's where I saw this possibility for this technology and um, and 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 these entrepreneurs. And I was just enamored with kind of getting in the game. I was like, this is really, really cool. And, and I think I, I took a moment and I said, look, you know, back to that ideal that you know, I want to live where I want to live. I want to do the things I want to do. And so for me, entrepreneurship was A, just a really big challenge. Like It felt like it was something that I wanted to try. And then B, it was about architecting my life 
first um, and that story that I wanted to tell, you know, and, and how I wanted to live. And then, you know, so I did that. I started this company. It was really good. And while I wanted a, a company and freedom and all this money, what I really needed was to get back to storytelling. And so um, at that point, you know, I had the, the benefit of the company doing well. I still own that company today. It still does well. Um, then I was able to explore uh, storytelling a little more. Uh, throughout that process, people were always like, hey, like, you know, you had the storytelling experience. Like, how would I, you know, how can you help me with my business? And I would informally sketch things out from, you know, all sorts of like uh, uh, taglines to branding to, to marketing stuff, like all over. And it was just, you know, something I love to do. And at, at some point, the light bulb just went off and I was like, oh, like this is actually like people, you know, and then I started hearing everyone's like, oh, we got to tell our story, story this, story that. So it, it kind of bubbled up into something. Uh, at which point I said, you know, like I need to get back on the path of what I was meant to do and what I really love to do, uh, and and it's this. And, mm-hmm. and again, I, like this isn't my most successful company. It's it's I'm I'm in the fight. I'm I'm every day trying to get customers and deliver, and I have successes and disappointments. And um, but for the most part, I love it. You know, yeah. and, I, and I and when I when I don't, I need to remind myself, you know, of why I'm doing this. And I think that. What I love about it so much is that it's just again like how we connect, like how how we make meanings of the meaning of things. When I go back into my backstory, it's like you know. Also, I I had this like real strong um, affinity with brands, you know. And it's really like when I see myself and like you know when I kind of like do a you know that the, to- the old Tootsie Roll commercial, everything I see looks like a Tootsie Roll to me. Well, I can see myself made up of different brands and how I perceive myself. And I'm really conscious of even like when I go to buy a car, or I go to buy a bike or buy shoes or buy food even or where I shop. I mean, it really is how I uh, declare who I am. And I believe that we all do that, whether we're as aware of it or not. And so it just became this like perfect a collision in marriage. And of course, most of my clients are like these like cool lifestyle brands, like, you know, people like Inboard, people like, um, you know, working right now with a very large climbing gym, uh, a national climbing gym uh, people, uh, company, um, uh, either Earth Treks or Planet Granite, depending where uh, <laughs> you are. You guys have Planet Granite out there uh, in the Bay Area and they're expanding nationwide. But you know, it gives me an opportunity to really connect and, and immerse myself and and help people realize like who they are. You know, through these through these different experiences. Why you mentioned the word backstory, and we talked about it briefly uh, earlier, but why is that such a critical element for people to wrap their minds around? Whether they're a solopreneur or a a, a small business with. 10 employees or even a, a huge business. So why is it so important that they, they wrap their head around that? And why don't people do it? <laughs> well, you know, I think it's important for a variety of reasons. I mean, a real basic level. Story is how we communicate. It's how we understand people. It's the first thing you say to, to someone when you first meet them. Like, tell me about yourself. Tell me your story. I mean, some variation of that, right? You want to know something about them. It allows you to um, locate yourself in their story. So when we're storytelling, right? There's a story I'm telling. And then there's a story, even uh, if it's just the two of us, that you're lo- finding and locating yourself in. So there, there's these like parallel stories. So it creates this uh, idea of empathy. And a lot of people overuse that. But empathy for me, real simply, as we talk about it in this context, is just, you know, it just means like me. You know, so I'm telling all these stories about Michigan and driving film around and my first jobs and and uh, how I see the world and hopefully you know people are listening and they're saying wow like I you know 
I grew up in Michigan. I, I went to Michigan. I didn't like Michigan. I had a dad that didn't talk, you know, but did you know saw movies with me too. Oh my, I didn't even have a dad. Like right, like all these things are just happening in like microbursts, like like nanoseconds. But we're trying to to understand and, and make meaning in the story. So I think backstory is a great way for that. I also believe that I don't really believe there's like a lot of randomness in our. Uh, choices, you know, in our life. I think we put ourselves in certain situations. We say yes and no to certain things, especially as entrepreneurs. Um, we're very uh, proactive, and I think that you can always look back and connect the dots and, and give yourself some meaning and purpose as to why you're here. Now, it doesn't have to be this pentultimate. I was born. My whole life led up to this, but you, know, you can always look up to look to these scenes that like set up. And of course, I told you stories about maybe some of my uh, affinity with brand. You know, I told you stories about. Being in love with California and Thrasher. I mean, I've got a billion stories, right? But I chose those because um, those are what I've identified as the building blocks in my backstory to where I'm at. So, you know, it doesn't have to be all this, you know, huge thing that is building up. But I do believe that that backstory is the foundation. I also believe you can look in your backstory for a lot of different things, like can can often help you find your why, your purpose. It helps you know set your worldview a lot of times. Um, it helps. Uh, set your your core values, and so all these things are, are are components. Like when we go through our brand storytelling process, that we we bring in because we believe that they're so important to telling uh, your backstory. I think for entrepreneurs, especially like service providers, things like that, your backstory is like your differentiator. Mm-hmm. It really is like you know what makes one um, financial services provider different than the other. What makes one branding you know uh, shop different than the other? Well, it's really your backstory and. Yeah, I'll give you. I mean, I tell everyone like, we're different because we have this like Hollywood backstory, right? And mm-hmm. as well as this entrepreneur backstory. And if you're looking at that nice Venn diagram, it's like Hollywood entrepreneurship sort of brand, and and that makes us unique and different. Mm-hmm. And and I and we really lean into that. And um, that that's just one example of how your backstory can really come uh, to to the surface and fuel your differentiator and and help you connect with people, right? Mm-hmm. And people understand like where you came from about and there's different ways of doing that you know a lot of businesses uh we find are born out of inspiration frustration or desperation you know what's that backstory you know like like how did that happen and you know mm-hmm. what was the inspiration and the thing where you started to see the world different or you decided hey you know the world could really use a little bit more of the way i do things uh in a particular space or something like that you know, Mark, this has been a blast, a fun conversation, and and full of wonderful stories and insight. And uh, as we conclude our conversation, I want I want to give you the opportunity to plug your your new podcast, which is awesome, and and all the other things that you're you're up to. Oh, cool. Thanks, Mike. So uh, the podcast is called Baby Got Backstory. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I like big stories. I cannot lie. And, and uh, love and- the title. Thank you. And it really is just an exploration of um, uh, great innovators, founders, creators, and hearing their story. Because, you know, much to your point, I believe that we learn so much from others when they just share their backstory. And so if you like that sort of thing, we'd love for you to tune in and listen. You can find that on iTunes. And uh, yeah, and if you have any questions about brand storytelling, you know, working story into your business, uh, we're just at wildstory.com and um, you know, fill out the form and and it's not an application or anything, just a uh, uh, a normal form and just put in the subject that you were in the body of the email that you heard me on Mike's podcast and we'll make sure that uh, you get a response 
right away. But other than that, like, you know, if, if anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out to me, especially anyone in your community. Um, would love to be of, of help. And Mike, thank you so much for having me on. This is a real pleasure and went, went quite fast. Yeah, absolutely. It did. And you also have an affinity for a special nonprofit. Why don't mm. you mention them real quick? Yeah. So I'm, I'm really involved with a nonprofit called First Descents. And First Descents works with young adults with cancer, uh, young adult defined between 18 and uh, 40. And, you know, what's really unique about them and sort of their, their perspective and their backstory is they, they take these young adults and they put them into adventure. Uh, type scenarios, whether it's a week-long kayak program, a climbing program, um, or uh, surfing or something of that nature. And really uh, gives them the ability to, to kind of reconnect with, with their community, find strength, and move on. And, and I'll, I'll quickly add that you know, it was a story that got me involved with them. You know, I was off with, on, a, on a snowboard trip with uh, their executive director. I didn't know him. It was the first time we met. We were just a group of guys. And he starts telling me, you know... Uh, the story about his brother who had passed from cancer, and now he was on a mission uh, to help this organization. And you know, I didn't have any direct uh, cancer in my family, so it wasn't like, hey, um, you know, I, I had that you know resonance in that story. What really resonated for me, and this is kind of back to that point about locating yourself in the story. He's telling me this whole story, and you know, if you've had uh, dealt with cancer in your family, you might really be picking up on the the cancer component. What, what I picked up on was I just remember, especially in my my time in California. Like how hard my twenties were. Mm-hmm. It was like a really hard time, and I felt very fragile. I was living paycheck to paycheck, never had enough money. You know, you're oh, you're trying to like build a life. You're trying to like decide, you know, do I get married like on the up, or am I going to try to make it before I like find my partner? Like all these things, right? You kind of forget about that, and you know, and you're and you and you're making friends, and you're trying to figure out like your way in the world, and then to have a diagnosis like cancer or something like that to just derail you, it just like really touched me. Um, and that was the story, you know, and that's where I located myself in that story. And then I've been a part of that organization ever since. We help them from a business perspective. And then I also personally support them uh, in any way I can. And the thing I get probably back most from them is I uh, volunteer one week a year at one of their programs as a photographer telling those stories, mm. right? And telling the stories and that story of that week and the transformation of how those um, uh, those participants come in and how they leave and Boy, do they transform and mm. it's a great story. So if, if you're interested in that sort of thing, it's firstdescents.org. You know, I don't want to overly plug my podcast here, but I did an, uh, an interview with their founder and you can learn more about it that way if you have an interest. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be sure to link to that in the show notes as well. Um, that, I always conclude the show with three questions that I ask of each guest and you could take as long or as short as you want with these questions, okay? Um, so the first is if you could take any skill set that you currently possess, and I, I might imagine what it might be, but you could surprise me, feel free. If you could take any skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? Wow, that is so great. Ah, uh, and I'm so bad at it, like naming one, but uh, <laughs> uh, I would think it'd be like comedy, right? Or like, like laughter. Like I'd love, like I, I find that just to be so great. Um, you know, I'm considering taking a stand-up comedy uh, intensive program just to flex that muscle because while I wrote like a lot of jokes uh, and, and did a lot of comedy in Hollywood, it's very controlled, right? It's a very like different format. But to to bring laughter to people, I think is just uh, so wonderful, and and it's such a gift. So I'd, I'd like to to 
flex that into a superpower for sure. Mm, I love that. What are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from realizing our full storytelling potential? Number one, far and away, my story isn't interesting. Uh, number two, I don't have a story to tell. And, and number three, I, I, I possibly can't share that story um, or be vulnerable in that way. And I, and I would just add that typically the story, like if you're looking for a story to tell, uh, one, one tip is like, what's the thing you can't stop thinking about, right? Let's just keep pop- popping into your mind. But also it's like a lot of times, like what's that story you just don't want to tell? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times, that's that's the best one. Get, you know, and and I'll give the caveat: context is everything. So yeah. <laughs> you know, if it's not appropriate, like you know, but like it's kind of like exploring those stories that are really hard for us to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 so I, I would say those three. I love it. I love it. The last question comes from the title of a book. There's a book written by a guy named Clay Christensen called "How Will You Measure Your Life?" But rather than just ask that question in a straight way, I'm gonna. I've been twisting it up a little bit. So, so you you have a a background in storytelling and screenwriting and movies and film. So it's a hundred years from now, and you've left a set of instructions for a screenwriter or a cinematographer. You pick. Um, let, I'm going to say a cinematographer. Uh, you've left some instructions for an epic shot to. To conclude and answer that question, how will Mark Gutman measure his life? What would the setup be? You know, I think that that's such a good, good question. You know, I think that the setup would be uh, me, uh, fairly old and aged, but healthy, and, uh, you know, standing somewhere outside. I think the first image was either. uh, so maybe like a, somewhere in the mountains, or even like we love to spend our summers uh, in northern Michigan, where there's dunes and water. And I don't know; it sounds kind of corny, but I I had this image of me just staring out, um, and, you know, either across the water or across the mountains, holding the hand uh, of my wife and my grown children and and their grandkids. You know, and mm. when, when I think about my legacy, it's just like I want to be around. I want to keep pushing. I want to be there. And I want to remember because I, like a lot of people, lose sight of what's important as I'm pushing hard in business and all the things I want to accomplish. That it's all about people, you know. And and you know that's just the, for me the storytelling truth. It's all about your characters. It's all about people. Like it's not about special effects and about grandiose things. Those things don't last. Um, for me, the legacy is that you know that I was always pushing and that I was always there. And uh, I try to live uh, this life with as much energy and excitement and curiosity as possible. Mm. Mark, I love that answer. Thank you so much for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. That was awesome. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters, we could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact. Impact.